I'm Dr. Anthony Smith of Alashay Center for Enrichment, and welcome to Black Folks Do Therapy, where we endeavor to challenge you to think critically about your mental health and overall wellness. Our goal is to inspire you to align your actions and values so that you might live your life fully 86,400 seconds every single day. We do this in part by asking questions and raising issues that you may not have previously considered. Ultimately, we encourage you to do those things that help you to live your best life consistently, always working towards balance. Thank you for joining us today as we tackle the topic of effective communication and what are some barriers to effective communication. Communication is comprised of a number of different components. It could be verbal communication, which is the most obvious, nonverbal communication. We can talk about communication as it relates to the tone in which information is conveyed. All of these things tell us something about information in a way that the receiver of that information interprets and comes up with their thoughts on what was meant. When this happens, often assumptions can occur. Now, we have to think about how to eliminate the assumptions so that effective communication happens in a way that allows for what it is that is being conveyed to come across appropriately. We start learning about communication at a very early age. If you observe an infant, they are paying attention to how their parents are interacting with them. They are learning that if they make this sound or if they coo in this way or if they cry, that there is a response that comes. So they are learning to communicate with their environment and paying attention to all the different cues that are directing them on what is appropriate in a given situation. So it's not hard to observe a nine month old who knows that if he cries in this particular manner, his mother will respond one way and his father will respond another way. We can see infants, I mean, um, toddlers, they know which parent will respond to them in a given manner based on how they interact with them. So if kids this young are paying attention to cues and knowing what response they're going to receive, certainly over the course of the years that we've been alive as adults, we are in a space where we are able to pay attention to these cues ourselves. So think about a marriage and a husband and a wife and how they are having to now communicate with each other. They've brought with them their years of living in the world and understanding the world and the way they've been taught and socialize. They think that their approach to interacting and doing things is the right approach often. A lot of consideration isn't given to the fact that there are other ways of doing things that are equally important. There's a study that was done several years ago that looked at how couples load a dishwasher. And they found that there are 158 different ways to load a dishwasher. But often people get into arguments about which way 
a dishwasher should be properly loaded to get the dishes clean. These arguments can go on for quite some time with people holding to their point of view that this is the ultimate right way. Really, the point of the matter is that there isn't a quote-unquote right way. The goal is to get the dishes clean. So if we're able to communicate this in an effective way, we can eliminate the arguing about how to load the dishwasher and instead focusing on the end result. So let's take an example of a word that couples often have difficulty with, honesty. A lot of times when I'll ask couples to define honesty, I'll get varying different definitions about honesty. And this is a relative word that can cause a lot of difficulty because most people would say that they want honesty in their relationship. However, when you say honesty, do you mean that you want to always hear whatever it is? When you ask someone a question, you want to hear what it is that they truly believe in their mind. So if, for instance, the husband buys something at the store and he comes home and he tries it on and he says, what do you think of this? And the wife really doesn't like it, but she knows that if she says she doesn't like it, he may take it personally and get upset about that. So instead she says, oh, it looks okay. But really she's thinking, I don't think it fits you that well. What do we, what would you like to have happen in that situation? Do you want them to be honest or do you want them to make you feel good in that situation. On the other hand, if the wife has gone and got her hair done and comes home and says, hey, babe, what do you think about my hair? And he's like, in his mind, he's thinking, that's horrible. I, I can't stand that hairdo. But he says, oh, it looks good. All right. He's not being honest, according to the definition, but maybe that is what is necessary for that couple to continue moving forward. That's the agreement that they have implicitly made that they will not be fully honest and there are areas where they can tell a little white lie. Now this gets very um, dicey, right? Because where do you draw the line in telling a little white lie? Who gets to determine that this is a okay little white lie and this is not? Right. That's a very slippery slope. So as we start to dissect honesty, it's important for couples to really drill down and say, this is what we mean with honesty. And this is how we're going to carry it moving forward. If we use another relative word. And there are so many of them. I'm just going to use one more. Right. To help you really understand the importance of needing to go through these relative words as you're talking to, in this case, your spouse. But this also will apply with children in the workplace. I'll give some examples for that as well. Um, but st sticking with the marriage, let's talk about affection as a relative word, because this is something that I hear uh, couples having difficulty with often. So the wife says, I would like to have more affection in the relationship. And the husband says, OK, in his mind, he says, OK, I'm going to every single day when I come home, I'm going to give her a hug and a kiss. And before I leave for work in the morning, I'm going to give her a hug and a kiss. And I'm going to make sure I'm doing that every single day. And for the next 30 days, he does just that. But at that 30 day period, his wife complains again that she's not getting the affection that she wants. 
And so now an argument about affection ensues yet again. The man is thinking, I've been giving her a hug every day for 30 days and she's still complaining. Meanwhile, the wife is thinking, I would like a body massage. I would like a foot rub. I would like to have him hold my hand when we go out. So her definition is different than his definition. Notice I said different. It's not right or wrong. It's different. But if they haven't communicated about what their respective definitions are, they will continue to have arguments about it. It'll be like they're speaking two different languages. One is speaking German. One is speaking French. That's not going to go very far. So we need for people to be clear about what it is they mean when they define these relative words and to convey that to the person they're convey they're uh, communicating with so that it's very, very clear. Now, how does this apply to children? So one of the problems parents often complain about is having to repeat themselves constantly. And one of the reasons why this happens is because they are not clear about what their expectations are. And if they would do the same thing with these relative words and clear up what it is they would like, they can reduce their stress level tremendously. So the relative word we'll use for this example is clean. So we'll take a bathroom. The parent says to the child, I want to have the bathroom clean. And the child goes in the bathroom and wipes out the sink and wipes the top of the toilet seat and sweeps and says, okay, I've cleaned the bathroom. The parent goes to check and says, no, it's not clean. Well, actually it is clean because according to the child's definition, the bathroom is clean. That's their definition. And it's not right or wrong. It's their definition of clean. So as a parent, you have to convey to the child your definition of clean. That means in your definition, you want the rug taken out, shook and, and vacuumed. You want it to be swept and mopped. You want the sink to be wiped out, the, the faucets to also be wiped down. You want the toilet seat to be lifted up, wipe under the toilet seat, wipe around the back of the toilet seat. Those little knobs on the side of the toilet, we know that those are important. Um, wipe those off, wipe down the front of the toilet seat. Make sure you get in the tub, ring around the tub. If there's tile, wiping down the tile. It is a much more comprehensive list and definition of what clean is. So the parent, in, I, in an ideal situation, I suggest to the parent to write this down and be very, very specific about what it is that they want. Of course, this takes some effort, but the genius is you only have to do it one time. Because once you have it written down and it's very specific and very clear, now every time moving forward, when you go to check the bathroom to ensure that it's clean, if you see something that hasn't been done, you can simply say, you need to review the list again, start all over from the top and do everything again. This communicates to the child that your definition is the one that needs to be applied completely and not the child's definition. So now you've communicated that and it's up to the child to implement that or do it again. 
And if they have to do it again three or four times, eventually they're going to say, let me just do this right the first time so I can stop having to repeat all these different tasks several times, wasting my time when I could be off playing or doing something else. So the ability to communicate ourselves and to make sure we are effectively conveying what we think about a relative word is extremely important. One other area of communication I want to get into now is nonverbal communication. This one is much more difficult for people to control because some people wear their feelings just all over their face. You can tell if they're upset, if they're happy, they just wear their feelings blatantly, right? So if they are not happy with the situation, they may say, oh, no, I'm okay. But on their face, you see that they're not happy. The words are not what's being um, received. It's the facial, the nonverbal communication. So we try to make people aware of the fact that they are communicating with their nonverbals, right? It could be a roll, an eye roll, right? Oh, it could be a sigh and a, oh, I can't believe she, right? Just, I don't want to hear this again. Are you nagging me? All these types of nonverbal communication communicate things that often can send the conversation spiraling in the negative direction. So we need to be aware of that and make sure that we are doing things that keep us in a positive space. So we have to keep reminding ourselves that what we show in our facial expressions and the way we go about doing things is communicating information to other people. And so being aware of that allows us to then find that space of peace, of positivity, and focus on getting the point across in a way that it's going to be heard and it's going to be received. Similarly, we can talk about intonation and the volume or the way something is said, you know. So the word tact, T-A-C-T, tact, comes into mind here. Because sometimes it's not what you say, but it's how you say it. So thinking about how am I going to convey this information in a way that is going to be received in a way that would allow us to move forward in a positive and healthy manner, as opposed to saying it in an offhanded way, that sucked. That was horrible. Um, why'd you do that? All of those have a, a tone associated with it that is off-putting. And it makes the receiver of the information conveyed, it makes them defensive and not willing to engage in a conversation in a positive way. In fact, because they are trying to defend themselves, they may match the tone with their own aggressive or sarcastic or negative tone. And this means that the communication goes absolutely nowhere. So ultimately, what we are advocating for is to think more critically about what it is that you're saying, how you're saying it, and making sure that you are being clear in what your definition is so that the person can receive the information and positive, can, positive interaction can result. So that's communication in a nutshell. 
in short, if you find yourself in a position where it appears communication has stalled, ask yourself if the definition of what you want to convey is clear to the person that you are communicating to. Chances are they have a totally different definition and clearing this discrepancy will open the door to clear, effective communication moving forward. In closing, I want to remind you to always be a critical thinker as it relates to your mental health and well-being. We always want to inspire you to consciously question your choices to ensure that you are doing those things that bring you happiness and fulfillment. Please don't forget to subscribe to our channel and share the information with others who might benefit. Connect with us on Twitter at HeartMindHealer and visit our Facebook and Instagram pages at Alashe Center, A-L-A-S-E Center. Our website is Alashe.net, A-L-A-S-E.net. And feel free to contact us for any consultations or questions you might have. Things that I might be missing Running too fast to stop to listen It's time to step out on